Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Thank you. All right. Well, at one point, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Right? Who do you say that I am? And they responded, or excuse me, who do people say that I am? And they responded, well, they say, well, some say you're, uh, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're the prophet Elijah. Others say you're like Jeremiah. And still others say you're one of the other prophets that are out there as well. And then Jesus brought it home for those disciples. And he said, but who do you say that I am? I know what all these people say, but who do you say that I am. And Peter replies, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're, you're the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. And that was an important moment for the disciples. And in fact, it's actually an important moment for every single one of us as well. Um, because who you say Jesus is will shape your life. Who you say Jesus is will shape your life. And it begs the question, like, okay, if that's true, then how can I know who Jesus is? And, and the simple answer for all of us is, well, the Bible, right? The Bible. That's how we discover who Jesus really is. And so if that's true, then I want to ask you uh, here in the room and, and those joining us online as well, I want to ask you this question. If that is true, I want to ask you a question similar to the question that Jesus asked his disciples. And the question is this, what do you say the Bible is? What do you say that the Bible is? Because how you answer that question will also shape your life. Now, in 1985, uh, there was a, uh, a scholar uh, by the name of Robert Funk who started what became known as the Jesus Seminar. And his goal in the Jesus Seminar was to rediscover the historical Jesus who had been covered up by 2,000 years of myths, legends, and misunderstandings uh, that had been passed down. So what he did is he gathered 150 other people, uh, other scholars, um, who, uh, even before they got to the Jesus Seminar, most had already denied the reliability, the authority, and the inspiration of Scripture. Right? So they already had that as their set point. Can, can you start to see where this is going? <laughs> right? um, and so together, what they did is they read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They also included the Gospel of Thomas, by the way. Uh, and so they read through all of those, and they voted on the words and the events and the stories with colored marbles. And the marbles were red, pink, gray, and black. And so if they voted, if they read a teaching of Jesus and they voted with a red marble, that meant, oh, that's definitely what Jesus said. Jesus would have said that. If they voted with a pink uh, marble, that meant that, well, it was possibly true that Jesus said that. Um, if they voted with gray, gray meant it's likely that something similar to that happened, but it's not really exactly recorded well in Scripture. And then if they voted in black, they said, that's not Jesus at all. That didn't happen. He didn't say that. It's untrue. So red, pink, gray, and black. So from this Jesus seminar, when you got to the end of it, when they were all done reading through the Gospels, 
they ended up having more black marbles than red, pink, and gray combined. Okay? More black. And in fact, almost all of the Gospel of John was in black. Right? Okay. And they had claimed to, we have rediscovered the historical Jesus. <laughs> We've done it, right? We've done it. But there's a flaw in that. I mean, it's clear. Clearly you see it, right? Because what had happened is before the gathering had even taken place, before they had even met together, all of these people had already answered the question, what do you say that the Bible is? They had already had the answer to that question before they even showed up. And so their answer was, well, the Bible is not the Word of God. That was their set point. That was their starting place. And so what you say the Bible is overwhelmingly shapes the way that you approach the Bible, right? And what you believe about Jesus and how you read the Bible and ultimately how you know God. That's how important that this is. So I do want to welcome everybody here uh, to Lighthouse Community. Super glad you're here in the house. Welcome to all of our guests. By the way, my name is Fritz Bilo. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse Community. I do want to welcome Lighthouse Online, Bluffton Community, and our Faustoria launch team, who, by the way, just recently made a name change. They're no longer the Faustoria launch team. They are now going by Faustoria Community. Uh, so we're very excited about that. They're taking next steps there. All very, very good stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. So... Good stuff. Well, welcome. Uh, as Matt had shared earlier, we're engaging in what we're calling Lighthouse University, and so we're kind of getting into this higher-level discussion on a very important theological topic, uh, the inspiration of Scripture. And we're going to unpack what that means in just a moment. Uh, but first, let me sh uh, share with you what you can expect this morning. So I'm going to share some content with you. Um, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a, a lecture style, so hopefully you have your Bibles ready. Uh, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning. We're not going to have one Scripture that we land on, so we're going to be all over. It's more of what I would call a systematic theology. What does all of the Bible have to say about this topic? So if you were really good at, at sword races um, as a kid, oh, somebody just went, yes, <laughs> they are totally going to go, got there first. Um, and so that you're going to love today. Um, and so uh, about the middle of the teaching, we're going to pause and Pastor Matt and Jesse, who are hosting this morning, they're actually going to bounce around the room here and we're going to take real-time questions. So if you have questions on the content, you can ask them. And if you're joining online on Facebook or at our, our campus online, uh, you can actually type your question in the chat um, and we'll be able to respond to you uh, in real time uh, through the live stream. So we're doing that. So we'll have some content. You'll have an opportunity to ask questions and we're going to go through that. So is that good? Are we ready to get into uh, Lighthouse University this morning get some stuff going okay good let me I need to get ready and prep because we're Lighthouse University right so uh, I need to get if you're teaching university you have to have your jacket right so here we go I'm ready let's see what else we have some other things in here oh there it is okay uh, so we're good all right I think we're ready and uh, okay so, I'll be able to say things like this, and it sounds much more important. So, okay. I'm being serious, you guys. Come on. <laughs> Too much? Okay. Well, that's, uh, if that's too much, let's just get a little in here. 
there we go. So, <laughs> like, okay, we have just gone off the rails. Uh, that is what has happened here. So, sorry. I couldn't help myself. I had to do it. Okay, so, uh, inspiration scripture. <laughs> Let's get into this thing. So, what do we mean when we say that the Bible is inspired? Well, if you ask the average person, they go, well, inspiration, that means um, it moves me, right? It fills me with emotions. It makes me excited. Uh, it causes me to uh, be motivated. I'm, I'm aroused to go do something, all of that. And I think when we think about inspiration, that's typically how we tend to define that word. Um, but when we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture, we're kind of talking about something a little bit different. So, what I want to do is I want to talk about the way people view the inspiration inspiration of scripture today in our culture, then we're going to backtrack to the beginning, and then we'll work our way forward from there. So when we're talking about the inspiration of scripture today, you've got some people who look at the Bible and they would say, well, this is, this is an ancient document, and, and there's some things that are true, and there are some things that are wrong, and, um, and all of that, but it's mainly an ancient document that allows us to get a peek into the minds of people from these various historical uh, settings. Then you've got other people who look at the scripture and they say, well, this is just myth, okay? This is all legend. It's full of supernatural fables that just it possibly couldn't have happened. So you had uneducated people during the time and age, and they're just trying to communicate the best way that they know how, um, or it's largely allegory, right? Most of this never really happened. It's stories representing something else. And then you've got a whole other group of people who would say, the Bible is the word of God, uh, in fact, it's so much the Word of God, it is the breathed out words of God, that God has spoken through the Scriptures originally, and He continues to speak today. And so when we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture, these are the kinds of things that we're talking about, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more. And so you've got this wide view today all over the place of what people think uh, the Bible is or is not. What's absolutely remarkable is when you start from the New Testament period, right? The time of Jesus and the 12 apostles in the early church, all the way up to the 18th century, right? About the 1750s, okay? You've got over 1,700 years of overwhelming unanimous agreement within the church and largely even outside of the church, okay? And the agreement was this, virtual unanimous agreement that the Bible is the breathed out words of God, okay? For like almost 1,800 years. And so most held this view that we have a, a name for today. A lot of people call it the dictation view. But the view was largely this, is that the Holy Spirit led the actual selection of all of the words of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to the writers, uh, you know, to the apostles, to the prophets, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and he is leading that very, very uh, meticulous in the writing. That's how almost everybody viewed the inspiration of the scriptures coming from God. Uh, and, and no matter where, and you had other people who said, well, I don't know if it's dictation, uh, maybe it's a little bit more loose than that, but largely what the agreement was this, they had this agreement, you'll see this on the slide behind me, is that the Bible is God's word spoken by him through the prophets and the apostles and preserved by the Holy Spirit through his church. That was the overwhelming view of nearly everybody for the first 1,800 years. The Bible is God's word spoken by him through prophets and apostles and preserved by the Holy Spirit through his church. So 1,800 years 
of overwhelming unanimous agreement. Then you get to about the 1750s up to today, and things began to shift. Um, I like to call this period the rise of biblical criticism. And what began to happen was this, is you had people began to disbelieve the supernatural and the spiritual. They began to question that and go, hmm, I'm not sure about this. And do you know why they began to question the supernatural and the spiritual? So around the 1750s, you had the rise of the scientific revolution, right? And so everything was all about scientific method, what can be observed, what can be reproducible, all of those types of things. And if you couldn't observe it, and if you couldn't reproduce it, then it wasn't really fact. It wasn't really true. You couldn't rely on it. And so when people would read the Bible and read things about a guy walking on water, God splitting the Red Sea in half, uh, turning water into wine, right, all this kind of stuff, they said, "You, you can't observe that, and we can't reproduce that. Therefore, it can't be true. It's, it's simply not true. And so that kind of came out of this biblical criticism. They began to question the reliability of the, manu- of the manuscripts and the copies that we have today to go, is this, is this really accurate? Is this really true? And many people actually began to question if the Bible actually was God's word. And so you even had guys like Thomas Jefferson who uh, there, something that was as later been known as the Jefferson Bible, uh, he actually went through and redacted uh, parts of the scripture to say, I don't think this was true, I don't think this was real, and I don't think Jesus said this, he did that. And then he cut and pasted, and basically he said, this is who I think Jesus is, um, and, and you have today the Jefferson Bible. Uh, that's where the Jesus Seminar came out of. Um, and so you had these views of people going, I don't think God spoke through these people, But rather, what you had was um, basically really talented people, people who were extraordinarily spiritually aware. They're basically like talented musicians, right? You know somebody who can almost pick up anything, and they're playing, and they're doing whatever, and you're like, wow, that's amazing to have this gift. Well, they likened that to the writers of the scripture saying, these are spiritually keen and aware people who are just more enlightened than the rest of us, and so they're letting us into glimpses of uh, faith and spiritual matters. But the Bible isn't really God's word. And so there's a lot of uh, unhelpful things that came out of biblical criticism. But at all, not all biblical criticism was negative. Okay, let me share that. There's some good things that came out of that. Uh, good things like this. Because of biblical criticism, uh, as a group, we all got better in interpreting and understanding Hebrew and Greek which is what the, the Bible is uh, you know, originally written in. And so we understand those words a lot better. We understand how they're connected and what they mean in certain contexts. And so uh, we keep getting better and better at interpreting uh, original meanings of the Scripture. So that's a good thing. And then there's also this really strong desire to establish the most original manuscripts we could get a hold of. Now, when I'm saying manuscripts, we're talking about the copies, because uh, we don't have any of the original letters of Paul, we don't have any of the original Gospels. Those are called autographs, by the way. And so we don't have any of those, but what we have is all of these copies. Well, because of biblical criticism, what we've come to find out since then is there's more than like 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament in existence today. Um, some are dating all the way back to the first century, right? Like early 100s. And so you've got 
99.9% agreement between over 5,000 copies of the New Testament, which begins to answer the question, do you think the Bible's reliable? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you've got all that. Um, and so that's, that's pretty remarkable. And so while there's some really uh, unhelpful things that came out of biblical criticism, there's also some, some very helpful things that came out of it as well. So I don't want to paint it only as a negative thing, but uh, largely it brought the rise of the disbelief in Scripture being God's Word. So you've got all of these different views in our world today that arose from that time period. And what I'd like to do is just quickly share with you what is Lighthouse Communities view on the inspiration of Scripture, because I think that's important for us to know. Um, and, and by the way, this is not something that myself or our elders wrote. Uh, we are a part of a larger organization called the Evangelical Free Church of America. Um, and so um, it's this partnership across actually the whole world. And um, we subscribe to that doctrinal statement. And this is that uh, part on Scripture. And so Lighthouse, Living Hope Church, Bluffton Community, Fostoria Community, right? We're, we're all subscribing to this same view on Scripture. And it's this. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures. So that right there tells you where we land on that part. Uh, Both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises." That's where we land. <laughs> so if you're wondering, where does Lighthouse, where does Living Hope, this is where we land on all of that. And so is the Bible inspired of God? Yes, without a doubt, 100% wholeheartedly, we hold that to be true. And what a lot of people love to jump into the question is, well, then how? How did that happened. What are the mechanics that God is? How did the Holy Spirit do it? Did he inspire the words? Did he inspire the thoughts? Was it dictation? You know, was it, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us. You actually see moments, and we'll talk about them in, a, in just a second, but you'll see moments where God says, I want you to write this. And so it's very, very specific that God wants them to write certain things. But then there's other places where it's, it doesn't say that. And so it seems like the Holy Spirit is guiding the, the, man, the minds and hands of these uh, human writers. And so uh, the Bible doesn't really tell us the mechanics of how it's inspired, except that it is inspired. And so um, I think what's helpful to liken that to is the Bible doesn't explain how the Trinity works but it affirms that it's true. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, all three uh, distinctly you know, and fully God, but God is one, right? The Bible doesn't explain the mechanics of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but says rather that he's fully man and fully God, and we trust that by faith. And so I think the same thing with the inspiration of Scripture. The Bible affirms the inspiration of Scripture. We don't know the mechanics explicitly, but it is a, a, a statement of faith, and we trust that because the Bible says it to be true. So I want, you to, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you're not asking just yet, but here's a question. What do you say that the Bible is? I want you to think about that. What do you personally say that the Bible is? It is, is it the very words of God? Is it a reliable historical document? Is it an unreliable book full of myths and legends? What do you say that the Bible is. I want you to think about that and reflect on that question because that's a very, very important question. 
So we've looked at and we defined the inspiration of Scripture. So now we want to talk about, well, how can we know? What are the evidences of inspiration of Scripture? And so we're going to walk through um, Old Testament evidence, New Testament evidence, and then we're going to say, what does Jesus say about all this? Because uh, that's pretty important too. Okay, so evidence of inspiration. I love what A.T. Robertson has to say. Um, he says this, one proof of the inspiration of the Bible is that it has withstood so much poor preaching, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, maybe even here on this stage, right? Like, A.T. <laughs> might be talking about me. Uh, but yeah, so it's like, yeah, it stands up underneath all of that, you know, thousands of years. Um, so, but then there's also Old Testament evidence, right? Look at 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. This is uh, King David speaking, and he wrote this. Now, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I think David's writing this, right? Like, this is his introduction, you know, the sultan of Swat, uh, you know, all of this stuff. But anyways, in verse 2, he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. David knew, right? You see that? David knew. These are not David's ideas. These are not David's thoughts. The, word, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. This is the prophet Isaiah. He wrote this, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to, I'm very sorry, Maher Shalala Hashbaz. All right? Did I get it right? <laughs> All right. So here you go. You've got God saying specifically to Isaiah, I want you to do this. I want you to write this. Isaiah knew this wasn't his own thoughts. Uh, look at the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 4 through 5. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Again, you're, you're seeing the theme of what's going on here with the prophets, with David. Then you look at Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 27. He's, he's writing the words of the covenant in this moment, and it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And so again, Moses knew this is not Moses' best ideas. Right? I didn't go into a cave and have an illuminating moment in a vision. God is literally speaking to and through. They were very aware that they were being moved by the Lord to write God's word. So that's the Old Testament. So let's look at the New Testament briefly. Uh, we're going to do it in two ways. The New Testament looking at the Old Testament, and then the New Testament looking at the New Testament. You'll understand what I mean in just a second. In Acts chapter 1, verse 16, you have uh, the apostles saying this about David's writings. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who were arrested by Jesus. So you have New Testament apostles affirming that David is speaking by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, this is Paul writing. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so all the scripture is breathed out. Some of your translations actually might say something like inspired or God-inspired. Um, I appreciate what B.B. Warfield has to say um, because uh, that doesn't really capture what's being said in this scripture. There's actually this old word that's obsolete. We don't use it anymore. It's where actually where inspired comes from. It's the old English word called spired. Uh, and literally means to breathe out, to exhale, to spire. And so that's actually the better translation that's going on there. B.B. Warfield says this, uh, the Greek term has nothing to say of inspiring. By the way, isn't that a great beard? Uh, I mean, just phenomenal. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, so the Greek term has nothing to say of inspiring or of inspiration. It only speaks of spiring or spiration, which, it, which uh, excuse me, what it says of Scripture is not that it's breathed into by God or is a product of the divine inbreathing into its human authors, but that it is breathed out by God. God breathed the the product of the creative breath of God. When Paul declares then that every scripture or all scripture is the product of the divine breath, is God breathed, he asserts with as much energy as he could employ that scripture is the product of a specifically divine operation. He's saying the Bible is God's word. (laughs) That's what he's saying, right? That God has spoken it for us. Then you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He writes this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so very, very clear on where it's landing there. So that's the New Testament speaking about the Old Testament. Look at a couple of verses of the New Testament speaking about the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. I love this passage. Um, I can't believe for years I just missed what was being said. Um, just very, very powerful. It says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. So he's saying, listen, Paul, this is Peter, by the way, writing. He's saying, listen, the apostle Paul, he's writing letters to you. Right? And then he describes some of these letters, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, understatement, um, but which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, listen, here's a big one, as they do the other scriptures. Do you see what Peter is saying about the letters of Paul? He's saying you have scripture, Right? The Old Testament, that's how they would have all understood it. And then Peter is going, and then you have these letters that Paul is writing that are getting sent around, and he's saying people twist those and get them messed up, his letters, the same way they do the other scriptures. He's saying what Peter's writing, it's scripture. Right? This is inspired. This is inspired by God through Paul. And so you've got the Apostle Peter affirming what the Apostle Paul is writing as scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, uh, Paul is giving some instructions to married people, and he says this, To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He's able to distinguish between when he himself is writing things and when, when the Lord is leading him to write things. So that's this New Testament speaking about the New Testament. Now let's look at Jesus' view of the Bible. Um, so uh, there were different groups 
In Jesus' day, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Zealots, and you had the Essenes. The Pharisees were basically the teachers of the law. They ran the synagogues. The Sadducees were the priests, and they ran the temple. So that's where you did all your sacrifices, your prayers, your worship, those types of things. Then you had the Zealots, and the Zealots were basically a militaristic arm of uh, the Jewish culture, and they believed that the way you usher in the kingdom of God is through war. You kill the Romans, and you kill anybody who sympathizes with the Romans, too. That's the Zealots. And then you had the Essenes. And the Essenes were basically the hippies of the day. Because they're like, let's move out. We'll set up these communes. We'll all live wonderful, perfect lives away from everybody else. But they were very, very committed to the scriptures in, in very clear ways. But they all believed, every one of these groups believed that the Bible is God's word. Okay? I want you to, that's very important. All of them said, the scriptures are from God. Now, they disagreed on how to live those out and how you ushered in the kingdom of God in this world, but every single one of them believed this is the word of God from the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus comes on the scene, and you see him interacting with these different groups, and you also see Jesus correcting their misunderstanding of how scripture should be applied in different situations, okay? You see that in the Gospels. What you never see is Jesus correcting their understanding of the nature of Scripture. Do you, do you, see, do you see what's going on there? He's saying, hey, you're misapplying it, and you're misusing it, but your understanding that the Scripture is the Word of God is right. That part you have right. Now let's get the other things in play. That's really important, right? And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, uh, you know, Jesus is under temptation uh, from Satan, and he says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus understood the Bible as to being from God. And so you have to see that overwhelmingly, the Bible and the people of the Bible most definitely see the Bible as God's word. This is not just some document. This is not people's best ideas. This is the breathed out words of God for us to understand who he is. Okay, we're going we're gonna to pause for just a second. And so I think we've got uh, Pastor Matt, we've got Jesse. Oh, they're in the ready position. They've got uh, microphones ready to go. So we're, we've just got a couple of minutes I'm going to give to, if you've got a question to ask of all, any of the content that we've talked about uh, so far, if you're joining us online, you can just type right in the chat. We've got somebody monitoring that. Um, if you've got a question, we'll try to ask it on your behalf here in the house. But just going to give a, a minute or so. If there's any questions in the house, they're going to come to you. They're going to bring the mic. They're gonna, they've been instructed. They're going to hold the mic. We have a rule. Never hand over the mic. You might not get it back. <laughs> so they'll hold the mic for you. You can ask your question, and then we'll go from there. Is there any questions here in the house? I know this is different. You're going, we've never done this before. Yeah, well, not in a long time. We did it a few years ago, but yeah. Is there a question you're wondering about the inspiration of Scripture? How do we view this? Or what does that mean? You, you said this, but would you give clarity on that? And I might not be able to answer your question, too. I'm all right with that. So any questions? Any thoughts? All right. We're good? Oh, dude, this is great. We've explained it all. This is so good, so good. Oh, there's, oh, okay, there's a hand. All right, sorry. We see that. Okay, um, so you know how in John 1 it says Jesus is the Word of God. How do we kind of distinguish that with, like, the Bible being the Word of God and Jesus being the living Word of God? 
Okay, wonderful question. Uh, thank you, Trent Miller from Indiana. Uh, <laughs> uh, good. So, uh, so what Trent's asking is, uh, in John 1, uh, Jesus referred to as the Word of God, but then uh, you keep saying that this is the Word of God, and, and the Bible refers to itself as the Word of God as well. So how do those two things work together? Well, so in John chapter 1, um, I'm sorry if I go a little nerdy here on you, but in John chapter 1, um, that word, word that's used there is the Greek word logos, which literally means word. And so um, when it's talking about that, it's saying, hey, this is the word of God. This is the physical representation of who God is. There is no better explanation of God than Jesus Christ, right? When you fast forward a little bit, uh, you get to like John chapter 5, John chapter 8. Um, I was just reading in 12 uh, the other day where Jesus says, uh, the son only does that which the Father tells him to do. The Son only says those things that the Father asks him to do, and he's come, the Son has come to give glory to the Father. And so when it, the John chapter 1 is referring to Jesus as the Word, there's like, here is the best physical representation of God. Um, and quite frankly, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so who's inspiring the written Word of God? Yeah, God, the Word. And so, and who is the Word pointing to? The Word. You know, so it's like, you've got that. You know, Jesus says, hey, all of the scriptures reveal me, and they point to me. So they're not the same person. So the word of the scripture is a document, um, and then the word in John chapter 1 is Jesus himself. So is that? Okay, okay, good, awesome. Thanks, Trent. Okay, we've got about another minute or two for a question. Uh, Okay, yep, got it. Hi. um, So I'm wondering, you said the original manuscripts and everything, the copies and stuff, how do we know that passed down through our in each individual um, translation and stuff? How do we trust that from the original manuscripts and stuff? How can we know? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, so what you're asking is a question on reliability. How do we know that what we're reading today is what was written originally? And I think part of that is the fact that there are uh, over 5,000 copies of the New Testament, ranging from um, you know as late as 10, 1100 AD, all the way back to like 100 AD. Um, and there's like 99.9% agreement between all of those various copies. And so... Uh, does that mean that the original autographs are exactly the same? Um, we can't say that undeniably, but based on 99.9% reliability, we can trust that. It's pretty good. <laughs> and then there was even question two of going, well, we don't have really that many, uh, we don't really have any um, Old Testament manuscripts prior to New Testament times. Okay, So people said, well, how do we know that the Old Testament isn't just some kind of version that came out around New Testament times. That's what made the discovery in Qumran of the Dead Sea Scrolls so important because those Dead Sea Scrolls are dated back to like 100, 200 BC, right? Before the New Testament even happened. And so you've got like entire drafts of Isaiah. You've got entire copies of Old Testament books that are again in agreement with the ones that we have today confirming that the Old Testament really is reliable as the New Testament is. So I think that's where we can land on that. Great question. All right. We got, oh, I see one hand right there. That's probably, this is probably our last one right here. Go forward, Matt. Just, uh, there we go. Last one. I don't know if this is so much a question, but I just thought that if there's 5,000 manuscripts, well, I don't know how many different authors 
authors of those manuscripts there would have been, but there would have been quite a few. And those manuscripts would have come from all over. So the very fact that there were lots of different copiers, say for instance, of those manuscripts that come from different parts of the world at that point in time, that to me would in itself validate the validity of the Bible as the spoken word of God, breathed word of God. I think you're right. And, and it speaks to the fact that God has sustained his, the word all the way through time as being reliable. There's a cool book, um, again, if you want to nerd out a little bit, there's this really neat book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Um, and it's this really neat book that when, uh, you know, kind of the Middle Ages, when all of Europe is being destroyed by war and people taking over each other all the time, you've got the Irish are on their own island secluded and they're copying the scriptures and they're copying other historical documents and things like that. And largely we have much of what we have today because the Irish were doing that uh, secluded from everybody else. So, you know, um, all good stuff. So you got... They're saving civilization, wonderful, you know, dishes with potatoes. Uh, you know, there are one, many reasons to love the Irish, right? Uh, yeah, so good. Okay, I think we're going to land it there just so we go. Oh, we got one more. Okay. This is the last, last one. All right. <laughs> so quickly, can you explain the importance and the difference of the different versions that we have today? Okay. Oh, you're talking about translations that we have today. Yep. Okay. Wonderful. Great question. Uh, I'm going to try to do that in 30 seconds. So, um, so what Jay's asking about is you've bought like so we've been reading out of the English Standard Version for the most part today. Then there's also things like the New Living Translation, the New American Standard Bible, NIV, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got these different versions in English today, and the question is, well, how does all that fit into here? Well, uh, all of those translations are written or excuse me, are translated from the original Hebrew and the original Greek. And so you've got uh, translations like the ESV and the NASB that are a little bit more what we would call word-for-word translations. They were very, very concerned to make sure we got the right uh, exact word and the ordering as close to the original Greek and the original Hebrew as we could. And so that's why when you read those versions, they're a little bit more choppy Right? You kind of maybe have to read it a couple times because maybe the word ordering is just a little bit different or they're using words that we wouldn't typically use. So that's called more of like a word-for-word translation. And then you've got like the NLT, which would be on the other end of that spectrum, uh, is more of a thought-for-thought translation. So what the, uh, what the interpreters of the NLT said was, um, let's try to translate uh, the Greek and the Hebrew into how we talk in, uh, in English today. So they would take the entire sentence uh, from the Greek or the Hebrew, and they would say, okay, this is how you would translate it word for word. How could we smooth that out and still keep the original meaning of the scripture? And so that's what they did. And so it's a little bit smoother of a reading. It's more of a thought for thought. And then one that's kind of a little bit in the middle would be like the New International Version. That's kind of a a cross between a word for word and a thought thought for thought, a little bit more towards a thought for thought than word for word. So, But all of those are translated from the original Greek and from the original Hebrew. And you've got teams and teams of scholars, New Testament scholars, Old Testament, linguistics, uh, right, history, all of these people who are helping to translate. So it's not like one guy in living in his mom's basement going, I think this is what it should say, uh, right? It's like years, even decades of translation going on to give us the Bibles that we have today. And a question behind that question is like, well, which one should I read? I get that one all the time, and I think the answer is this. Which one will you read? That ought to be the one that you read. 
right? Read that one, okay? Great. Um, I would love to keep answering, but uh, I got a little bit more content I want to share with you. Um, you all ask great questions, by the way. Thank you so much. Uh, that made it a lot easier and less awkward on my side. So cheers. Um, all right. I better close with this in my hand because it'll make me feel more wise. So, um, so we've talked about the, uh, the definition of the inspiration of Scripture. We've talked about the evidence uh, of inspiration. Now I want to talk about the results just briefly. Um, because how you view the inspiration of Scripture touches all of the other areas as well. Uh, let me say the negative, and then I'll, I'll cross over to the positive. The negative is this. Uh, if for you, the Bible is not God's Word, if the Bible is not God's Word, if you've determined that, what that means is you are the final authority, and you will submit Scripture to your own understanding and to what you think about things, and you are in charge of what you'll believe. You'll, you'll disregard certain things. You'll elevate others. You'll vote some verses in black. You'll cut some out. You'll hold other verses higher, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you don't believe that the Word of God, or if you don't believe that the Bible is God's breathed-out words, then you're the final authority. And you're in charge, okay? And everything that comes with that, by the way, okay? That's the negative side of it. But if all of the Bible is God's word, then that means so many other things. Then that means that we can know the purpose of the scripture, which is that the Bible clearly reveals God's character, that the Bible clearly reveals who we are separated from him. The Bible clearly reveals our need for Jesus and how is he's the solution. And that's the purpose of Scripture, right? It's not designed to give you better life hacks. It's not designed to inspire you to make it through the rest of today. It is, it is inspired, right? It's, it's inspired out by God to reveal God and truth clearly. It also speaks to the reliability question that was asked a little bit earlier. If it's God's word, then it's reliable and you can trust it right? And he's preserved it. It speaks to authority, right? If it is God's word, then believers, believers submit their entire lives to the scripture rather than submitting scripture to our lives. I think it affects missionally. So when we're out sharing the gospel with other people, uh, some of the most profound and potent things you will say will actually be the words of scripture when you're sharing the gospel with other people. Because the, the Bible is the living, active word of God, discerning thoughts and intentions, all of those different types of things, right? And so, uh, you know, Romans chapter 10, 9 says, 10 verse 9 says this, right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. By the way, there's a way for you to say scripture, and like to just season uh, your conversation with Scripture without saying, well, you know, uh, as quoted in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 12, and I quote, you know, you like you don't have to do it. You can literally just say, "Hey, did you know that the Bible is truth?" Right? Did you know that God spoke through the Bible? That's Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. Right? Like you can sometimes just a lot of times when I'm teaching on Sunday morning, I say scripture without quoting it. Some of you guys catch that, right? And and others they don't even know. They're like, oh, that was a really cool thought. I'm going to tweet that. You're tweeting scripture, right? Like you don't even. And it's not my thought, right? It's God's. So missionally, we can use scripture as a primary resource. The other thing I would say is I think we need to be thoughtful when we're discipling one another, whether that's one on one, whether that's counseling, um, whether it's small groups or things along those lines. Um, because when I say that the Bible is God's word, and you say that the Bible is God's word, we could actually be nearly light years away from each other. So I think it's okay to say, hey, when you say that, what do you mean by that? 
Because I'd love to know, right? Let me tell you what I mean when I say that. So I think that's a good starting point. Because if somebody doesn't believe that the Bible is God's word, well, you kind of got to start there. Because <laughs> that's, that's the place of authority for our lives. And then finally, I think personally, I think we just got to read it. I think you got to read it. I think you got to study it. I think you got to meditate on it. Um, that's what we do with the scriptures, and we let it speak into us. I love what uh, Dr. David L. McKenna says. Um, he wrote this. He said, Christians need no other reason to be avid readers of the Word of God. Realizing that scripture is God-breathed is motivation enough. Immediately, we see a connection between the living word and the written word. There you go, Trent. Um, Just as Jesus Christ, the living word, is an ever-present and dynamic reality, the written word is equally alive and active through the mind of the Holy Spirit. Every time we open the scriptures, we should expect a personal encounter with the God-breathed spirit of the living word. This is reading at its very best. When the mind and spirit of a biblical author interact um, in the vibrant dialogue with the mind and the spirit of a reader, the highest purpose of the inspired word is fulfilled. We should soar every time we read the word of God. I love that. So good. And essentially what it means is this, is to obey or to disobey the word of God is to obey or disobey God himself. That's what it means for the Bible to be the inspired word of God. To obey the word of God is to obey God himself. And so I want to encourage you with two thoughts this week, two things you might do. First, ask yourself this question, what do I say that the Bible is? What do I say the Bible is? And evaluate your truest response to that, right? Like, seriously, like, don't you go, yeah, yeah, it's the word of God. No, actually, believe practically, where do I land on that thing? And own your answer. Like, just, just own it. Say, this is actually where I'm at. I, I say it, but I don't actually live by that and believe it. Because if you don't like your answer, you know what you can do? You can change it. You can change your answer, right? And here's how you do that. You decide in that moment, I'm going to believe that the Bible is what it says it is. And I'm going to submit my life underneath of it. And every time my flesh and every time sin tries to wage war against following and walking with God, I'm going to battle against it. I'm going to battle through prayer. I'm going to battle through faith. I'm going to battle in community with other believers. You know, I, we've got a... Um, you know, a guy who is just kind of was feeling unsettled in his life. And so he uh, decided, I'm going to read the Bible. And he's a believer, he's been a believer for, for years, decades. And he read the Bible, the entire Bible in seven and a half weeks. And then he came and he talked to one of our leaders and he goes, I'm being changed. <laughs> God is changing me as I'm reading the Bible and as I've read it, right? Like reading the Bible like invites God to shape your life throughout all of that. Well, there's a small group in our church that's uh, studying through the, they're just reading the Gospel of John and they're talking about Jesus. That's, that is it. And it's affecting their hearts and their minds. Um, one member in the group said, you know, I used to fight with a couple, like argue with a couple of people consistently. And that's not happening as much anymore. What's going on, you know? And that leader is like, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. By the way, this entire time we've been in small group, we've never once said you should stop arguing with other people. You should, literally, they've just talked about Jesus. They've discovered his character and the Holy Spirit's transforming them in the process, right? Like nobody's given them rules. 
Nobody's giving them like, do this, don't do that. The Holy Spirit is doing that in their lives. This is what happens when you engage the inspired word of God with a desire to know him. Your life will be changed. Listen, this, this document is unlike anything else we have. It is alive. It is active. It is so sharp. It actually separates soul from spirit. I don't even know where that division lies, right? Like it discerns your thoughts. It discerns your intentions. All of those things. This is a supernatural word from God. Because if it wasn't, if this was from man, there would be some culture in our world today that is living this entire thing out in perfection, right? Because it's born out of their culture. It's born out of their system. They'd be living this immaculately, better than anybody else, but nobody is. Everybody wrestles with stuff in the Bible, right? It's like you read it here in, the, in America, and we read the Bible, and we're like, oh, yes, we love, like, God, the forgiver, and let's forgive people, and let's love. And then we read the portions that say, you should be sexually pure, and you go, well, that's repressive. You know, like, that's not right. Um, and then, like, you go, you go to places in the Near East and the Middle East, and they're like, you know, sexual purity, no problem. Forgive your enemy? You're crazy. I ain't doing it. Everybody everywhere gets offended by the Bible at some point. That's what proves to me this is from God, right? And he draws us to himself. And so the Bible is God's word breathed out from the creator of the universe, breathed out from the creator of you. And so come to the Bible and let God shape who you are. God knows who you are. and He knows who you're just destined to be. Lean into him. Well, that concludes today's class. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.